Next week is also another big week for us. Not only does this, this series kick off in two weeks, I'm really excited about the Dark Side series. Um, I read a book called Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership that really shaped my inner life. Matter of fact, some of our staff have been going through that book this year, and it's phenomenal that we all have this dark side, right? We all have these Achilles heels in our life, and we're going to be dealing with that. And so I'm really excited about the content of lives being changed, and we're kind of playing with that a little bit with Star Wars. Even if you're not a fan, you're going to enjoy uh, the series. But also next week, I'm excited. I'm, I'm repping my Thrive student shirt. Uh, I want you to understand something. What happens next week is Grandparents Sunday, number one. We want to honor the grandparents because especially during this pandemic, they have done so much for our families of stepping in uh, when, you know, kids went virtual and things of that nature and helping. The kids are going to do a special craft for the grandparents and kids' ministry to bring to them. But next week is called Student Takeover Sunday. And once a year, we let our students, our middle school and high school students, take over the church. Isn't that awesome? Right? Like, we're excited about that. They'll be leading worship. Um, our student ministries director, who's also our worship leader, Andrew, um, his, uh, he can sing, but he also can talk. And uh, he's going to be sharing next week as well. It's going to be an amazing day. And I want to say this before we jump into today's message. Everything you see online, everything you see on the screens, everything that happens with production that is in the back there is students, middle school and high school students. Um, no, 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 don't, don't, don't clap yet. This is so important. Don't you understand this? This is, this is big. You don't know this. We would not have online church. For you that are watching today and have been watching, we would not have it if it was not for them stepping up and coming in early and staying late and taking ownership. We would not, because adults wouldn't do it. We, we reached out. Nobody, nobody would try it. So guess what? You know what God does? If the adults won't do it, then he'll, tell me he'll take young people who have a heart for it. I want you next week when you come to encourage them. I want you to, man, to just thank them for all that they are doing at this church. Because this is not a church that's a youth church and an adult church. It's a multi-generational church where we can all worship together, where this church is just as much their church as it is our church. We're all one. So I'm excited about next week. Make plans to be here for Student Takeover Sunday and Grandparents Day. Well, I was praying and asking God, like, you know, this is a one-off message, and so now we're not in a series. What do you want me to share on? And I just began to go through you know, several topics on my heart. And today, what I want to talk to you about is something that's called fake news and how gossip spreads, but not in the way that you would think it does. So, for instance, have you ever had someone misrepresent you and twist your words? Right? I mean, we all, all had that happen at some point in time. Isn't that like the most painful thing when you're like, no, 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 I didn't say it. No, no, I didn't say that. And they're just twisting things and turning things on you. And think about the emotions that you had when that happened. When gossip happened about you, how did that make you feel? Right? Just think about the emotion. Am I angry? Probably disappointed in the person. Why would they do that to me? Sad? Well, let's pause for a second and think about this. We do the same thing to God all the time. We say things as representatives of God that God never said. We'll say, well, you know, the Bible always says this, or the Bible always says that, and in nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And I wonder how that makes God feel to be misrepresented. I mean, think about it. You probably heard cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere in there. You've probably heard before, uh, you know, that, well, Grandma's a guardian angel now looking down from heaven. We don't become angels when we die, y'all. Nowhere in Scripture is that the angels are created. They're, they're, they're not like us, right? They're different. You don't become an angel. 
You don't become a guardian. And you don't want grandma always looking down on you, right? Let's just be honest. Like, that, that doesn't happen. We have these sayings that, well, God wants you happy. And you do what makes you happy. You do you, boo. That's not what the Scripture never says God wants you to be happy. It says God wants you to be holy. And that when you're living in holiness to God and separated for His purposes and living for Him, then you'll find the most joy in your life. Like, I could go on and on and on and on about these things, but today I want to talk to you about something that we attribute to God, about, you know, what He says that He never said, and it's this. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before? You've probably even said that before, let's just be honest. I have. And that's actually not the truth. I don't care how close you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I don't care, like, if you glow in the dark because you're so holy and anointed when the lights go off. You're going to face seasons in your life where you will have way more than you can handle. And in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. The Apostle Paul, who was super close to Jesus, like he was like, you know, planting churches and you know, he changed Christianity forever by what he did. Amazing man of God. Guess what? He faced some situations in his life where he had way more than he could handle. Way more than he could physically and mentally even, you know, keep up with in his life. And I want you today, as you look at 2 Corinthians 8, realize, verse one, chapter 1, verse 8, I want you to realize something about what's happening here. When the Apostle Paul first started his ministry, he spent 14 years reading the Old Testament, praying and learning about Jesus through the Old Testament, right? That's all they had was, the, was what, what, you know, their covenant then. 14 years. And then he kind of goes and he teaches with Barnabas a little bit, and they have this awesome, like, revival where, like, non-Jews are getting saved, and everything's just, like, great, man. And Paul writes his first letter to the Galatians. He's brash. He's in their face. He's, like, talking about how, man, he's an apostle called by God. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he's just, like, talking it up. Then what happens between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in his life is he gets his brains beat out. He launches these missionary journeys. He feels called to go to Macedonia and sees this vision. This man needs some help. He goes there. He gets imprisoned on the way. He gets flogged. He spends a night and a day out in the water on a piece of a ship. Like things just aren't going the way that he expected or the way that they started. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth. They've been praying. They've been asking what's going on. They didn't have social media. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have the Gutenberg Press. They get, you know, letters and paper and things like that. So they're waiting on this letter to circulate and to get to them. And he kind of has this tone. He's like, y'all don't know all that I sacrificed for you. You ever done that as a parent? If you only knew all that I did for you, right? The Apostle Paul kind of shares that with them. But in this passage, he gives us insight into something that he learned during a very difficult time and something that we got to learn too. And so as you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he says, We thank you all to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Does that seem like he had more than he could handle? Right? He says, in fact, we expected to die. Now, I know you probably had a tough week, but none of us in here have expected to die from sharing the gospel. None of us have. The Apostle Paul was at this place. for He was serving Jesus 
and was overloaded and overwhelmed and expected to die. He had way more than he could handle. But look at this. This is the, the key to this passage here. But as a result, as a result, this is important right here, guys. Don't miss this. He says, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned. Say learned. Learn. Papa had to learn something. He knew more than any of us. But what did he learn? He said, and we learn to rely on God who raises the dead. He says, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, like from physical danger. It wasn't like, he's not a metaphor or hyperbole. We were going to die, y'all. Like things were rough. He said, and God rescued us. He said, and he will rescue us again. And we have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. I love him now looking at the faithfulness of God in the future. Then he says, and you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks to God. I will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. The apostle Paul was overwhelmed. He was overloaded. He was stressed out. His to-do list was so long, couldn't get to it. He was physically in danger, physically in pain. And it was in that moment that he learned something. And what I want to do today is help you to learn what Paul learned. That may be one of the most viable lessons in your life. Because you're going to go through seasons just like this, personally. You're going to go through seasons when you don't know if you can make it. You don't know if, man, with all the stress happening, that you can actually get through this thing. And if you believe God will not give you more than you can handle, then you're going to be in big trouble because he will allow you to have more than you can handle. And I want to share with you the secret why. If you have your notes handy, write this down. We are overloaded so we can be overwhelmed. We are overloaded so we can be overwhelmed. Now, what do I mean by that? See, the myth is this. The myth is God would never allow you to be overloaded and overwhelmed beyond your strength. That's the myth. That's the fake news. When the truth of the matter is, God will allow you to be overloaded so you can be overwhelmed by his presence. It's in those seasons that, just like Paul, you and I have to learn, we have to experience something and put something into practice where we learn that God is shaping us in those seasons to be overwhelmed by his presence. I mean, look at 2 Corinthians 1, 9, and it says this. It says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. I don't know what that means for Paul. Like, like he was way more spiritual than I am and probably way more spiritual than you are. But he still was relying upon himself in tough times. You ever hear that? Just believe in yourself. That's total new age garbage. Don't trust and believe in yourself. Trust and believe in Christ. It's not a, Christianity is, is not a self-help program. It's I cannot help myself, I cannot save myself, I can do nothing for myself, I desperately need Jesus. And Paul was still learning areas he desperately needed Jesus. He says, and we learn to rely on God who raises the dead. And today I want you to understand that. Because it's in the seasons of difficulty, it's in those, those crux seasons of your life that you've got to understand that God wants to do something in your heart, something significant where you come to know him on a level you never knew him before. And, and, and here's my fear for us today, guys. If we just kind of skate past this or say, yeah, I, I know this, I got this, here's what's going to happen when you go through tough seasons. If we don't understand this, then we will waste opportunities to encounter God's faithfulness. 
If we don't understand this today and we kind of just check out and we're waiting for Labor Day lunch, I'm telling you, if, if you're watching online and you're scrolling on an ad right now, you're going to miss opportunities and waste opportunities to encounter God's faithfulness. Because, see, here's the thing. You never know that you, you need God to be your healer until you're sick. You never know that you need God as a provider until you don't have provision. It's not always having everything given to you. It's in those seasons of lack you come to know God in a way you've never, you know, known God before. And so many of us are going to miss these opportunities and waste these opportunities to encounter the faithfulness of God. As I was praying about this and thinking about my life, there's many times I could carry you back to the faithfulness of God and how I've had to lean into Him. But I want to carry you back to the first time that I can really tangibly tell you about the experience I had. And I was in college, and uh, until that point, things were pretty easy. I played in a band. Yeah, I had a lot of to-do lists to do. I, I went to school. I worked. I did things. But, man, I went into to college, and I went in a little older in life, and I was working two part-time jobs. I was also taking a heavy course load of New Testament Greek, biblical interpretation. I mean, it was just 18 hours. I was just exhausted. I was stressed out. I was doing youth ministry. I was working. It was crazy. And over the first couple of months of college, I began to just gain weight nonstop. I was just, uh, you know, I mean, I was drinking Mountain Dews back then when I drank just to stay awake. Right? Some of y'all know my pain. I was stressed out, man. And then I felt this little, you ever had this little vessel right here when you get stressed, it, like, you can feel it? And I'm like, so it was like, it was like throbbing all the time. I was like, man, I'm going to have, I'm, I'm going to die. Like something bad's going to happen to me. And I went to my professor hoping that he would give me a little bit of empathy. He was a tank driver in the military. That's what he did. Now, he wasn't a mean tank driver, but he was like, he was very soft-spoken, but he was very direct. And I shared, I poured my heart. I wanted to quit Greek is what I wanted to do. Greek was three to four hours every single day, just that class. It was very grueling. He said, I know you want to, but you need to go and spend time with the Lord and see what the Lord is saying to you. I was like, oh, I want him to give me permission to quit because he taught that class. He didn't give me that. And I was angry. I was stressed out. I remember kind of just walking to the library. I've never heard God's audible voice. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, and you hear all that. I don't hear that. But I remember walking and having that kind of that just inward conversation with God about quitting, and I needed to take the stress load off, all that. And the Lord kind of felt this question to be, he said, do you want to be ordinary or extraordinary in ministry? I said, God, of course I want to be extraordinary. He says, you've got to be willing to do what no one else will do to get the results that no one else will get. And one of the reasons he said that, I'll be sitting in the library studying for three to four hours that night, looking at my friends outside walking and having a good time, going to go play Ultimate Frisbee or something. <laughs> and I'm like, help. I'm tired of Greek. I want to have a life too. I want to not do youth ministry and work. And the Lord said that to me. Pressed my, I said, God, I want to do that. And friends, can I tell you that God saw me through? It wasn't easy. It wasn't perfect. But what I started doing was this. I went and began to spend time at the prayer chapel we had on campus. I would eat lunch, and I'd go in there, and I would just sleep in that prayer chapel. I'm joking. No, no, I wouldn't do that. You're like, what? <laughs> I would go to that prayer chapel every day after lunch and spend time with the Lord because I was so stressed out, and I was so overloaded, and I let His presence overwhelm me. And I began to learn in that season that when you get stressed, when you get overloaded, it's so important 
to go spend time with God and be overwhelmed by his presence. So you don't waste these opportunities to encounter his faithfulness. And can I tell you, I could take this rest of this message and I could share story after story after story of the faithfulness of the Lord in seasons when I was completely stressed out, overloaded, and overwhelmed. But at every turn, I've allowed one principle to help me. I want you to write this down today. If you're taking notes, you can tweet this. You can, if you even do that anymore, Snapchat it. You can Instagram it, Facebook it. But I want you to write this down here because this is what Paul learned, and this is what I've learned along the way, and I hope you'll learn too, and it's this. Allow your deepest need to drive you to experience God's greatest power. Allow your deepest need to drive you to experience God's greatest power. It's in those seasons, if, if you'll let God do it, you can be driven to experience the Lord and know the Lord in a level you've never known Him before. But if you're like me, like, I pray, take it away. Do you pray the same thing? Take the burden away. God, just get rid of it. Please, just poof, magic eraser that thing right out of my life. And you know, the Apostle Paul did the same thing. He wrote to the Corinthian church and told them, he said, that I had this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We can pontificate all day about it. But I believe Paul leaves that out on purpose because we all have a thorn in the flesh, something that's, that's just hurting. He said, I prayed three times, God, to take it away. He said, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. That it's in your weakness you'll see my strength perfected. That's Kevin's paraphrase. And friends, many times we're praying for God to take it away when God's saying I want you to experience my grace through this thing that you're experiencing. And it's in your weakest moments, if you will allow me to, then you will be able to experience my greatest power when you have your deepest needs. And I want you to do that, guys. When you, when you get into those seasons of your life, when you feel that coming on, allow that to drive you. But here's the problem. Many times I've been driven to other things when I get stressed out. And here's something I learned. Where we go when we get overwhelmed reveals what we worship. Right? Like, like, like if you get stressed out and overwhelmed, and I just talked to a person that's trying to quit cigarettes at the first service. They were saying, man, I'm trying to quit. And they're like, man, you're right. I get stressed out at work, and I run to the cigarette because that's my—I said, I said, I said well, well, same thing happened to me. I had this friend named Eric. And Eric was the guy who changed my life as a person. Now, Jesus changed it ultimately— but my friend Eric got saved before I did. And we were sitting together or standing together at Wendy's, in the, I'll never forget, in the line ready to get our cheeseburgers. And he told me, I was not saved. I didn't know Jesus. He said, you are an enemy of God by the wicked works of your mind. And if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're, you're going to end up in hell. And I was angry. I wanted to punch him in his mouth for that because I didn't believe any of that stuff. Six months later, who gets saved, right? I do. Well, six months later, after I, get, after I get my life to Christ, he's discipling me. He's actually, you know, I'd, I'd go you know, spend a night over at his house, and at night he would teach me how to pray. Like, well, let's pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, what do you do when you pray? And he would just tell me, and he'd walk me through it and taught me. And I'll never forget, I got really stressed out one time. I'd lost my job. I you know, newly, you know, new to Christ. And I said, man, I'm going to get, get, get me a pack of camels. That's what I smoke, camels. I'm going to get a pack of camels. And Eric said, well, that just shows you that that's what you worship. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I just want a cigarette. I'm stressed. He says, can God not do for you what that cigarette's going to do? Because I told him how calming it would help me and it got my nerves down. You know, all those, all those excuses we give. He said, well, you, you can either worship God or worship the cigarette. It's your choice. 
I was angry. I wanted to punch him again, but guess what? He was absolutely right. And I didn't go to it because I realized that's the thing that was giving me comfort. And for you, it's the same thing. What is it? When you go through those seasons, we get driven to things that we partake in. Maybe it's the, you know, the butter pecan ice cream for you, right? Maybe it's the, the extra slices of pizza. Maybe it's pornography. I mean, maybe it's medicating with pills. Maybe it's drinking too much. See, I don't know what that is for you, but it's in those seasons you have to realize, what am I driven to when I'm really, really stressed out that's harmful for me? And I want you to get driven to God, first of all, to spend some time with Him. But here's what I've learned in my tough seasons. I don't want to share this with you today. What should we do when we get overloaded and overwhelmed? There's three things we should do because we have these burdens in our life. The first thing is this. Let your burden, and write this down, drive you. Because it's going to drive you somewhere. Let it drive you to open up to a friend. Let your burden drive you to open up to a friend. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, wrote something really important in the— I mean, all the Bible is important, but this was so important to our healing process. You know, if you ask God for forgiveness, does He forgive you? The answer is, you say yes, yeah. It's not a trick question. (laughs) He forgives. But there's many times we don't find healing in life, and we continue the same cycles over and over and over. And here's why. James says this. In James 5, 16, he says, Confess your sins to each other. Confess your sins to God, as John says in 1 John 1, and and you shall be forgiven. He's faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But, But James says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Many times we don't experience healing because we don't have a friend to open up to, a person to open up to and share what we're struggling with. And then he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That scripture is not, doesn't just mean arbitrary prayer, like I'm just on my knees praying for world peace. That is in context of when you have someone you're in relationship with that you open up to about a struggle and they're able to understand and pray for you because you have that relationship. And you begin to find healing from that. I'm going to be honest with you. Ladies, you're pretty good at that. Men are terrible. Men are terrible. I remember leading a men's group one time, and I said, well, let's just share our struggles. Just share what you're going through. Every man in the group was like, well, what the world needs to do and what the Bible says is, I'm going to tell you what I did, and I'm just going to tell you how awesome I am. I said, no, 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 no. I need to know where, where are you failing right now, and you feel miserable, and you're struggling. And it was like I'd ask them to, uh, like, solve a quadratic equation. Like, they just like, oh, no, the feelings, feelings, uh. They're terrible at it. And, and the reason I know this, I work with pastors all the time. And do you know that 90% of pastors don't have a close friend they can find in and they talk to? Spouse doesn't count. 90%. I have a call every week with a close friend, and it's the vomit call, we call it. Vomit. Every, the, all the negative feelings you feel, tell me. We kind of start, we start shallow end. How'd church go? How's the family? Tell me how you're feeling right now. And we get into it. And we pray for each other. And we share our frustrations. And I found healing through doing that. 
Find people in your life that you can do that with. That's why we have serve teams and small groups. All that, to hopefully you'll find a divine connection where you can do Because there's a reason you're not finding healing. Your burden's not driving you to open up to a friend. And let me give you one piece of advice. The people on Facebook are not your friends. <laughs> I know it says friends. It's acquaintances. Don't go there all the time looking for pity. Most of them say they're praying for you. They ain't prayed in years. Just, they just do that for everybody. They say they're praying. Come on, y'all know that. See, there, there's a principle to understand with this. You're transparent to the masses, but you're only vulnerable to a few. I can be, I'm, I'm very transparent with you guys. Don't you always understand that I struggle, I go through things, I've been to counseling, I have my own issues in life, but I have a few people I'm really vulnerable with that I'm able to open up with and share the worst part about me. And they don't judge me. They're there to help me. They're there to pray for me. And that's where I find him. So let your burden drive you to open up to a friend. The second thing you got to do with your ver- burden when you get overwhelmed, overwhelmed, let your burden drive you to have a heart of compassion. Let your burden drive you to have a heart of compassion. The Apostle Paul writes this, and this is in the same letter. And I want you to look at what he talks about. He is not a kind, comforting man. If you read Paul's letters, look, Paul was in your face. He was bold. He was brash. But this is after having his butt kicked. After wondering, God, why did you lead me there? What am I even doing? And look what he writes to them. This sounds really pastoral and really like feely. This is not Paul. Like 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, All praise to, to, uh, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father. And watch this, the source of all comfort. He uses the word comfort here more in this, these little verses. He does the whole New Testament. <laughs> he says, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. Why? So we can feel better? So we can just get some peace in our life? Well, that's one reason, but the main one is this, so that we can comfort others. When you're going through a season of being overwhelmed and overloaded, when God brings you that comfort, it's not just for you, it's so you can comfort others. He says, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, it never hits home until it hits your home. And a lot of times we can't really empathize with people. We're cold. We're in this, we're in this you know, like world right now that's just cold. Go on Twitter, man. I don't, I don't tweet, but wow, it's crazy. Like, does anybody even look at Twitter anymore? None of y'all do. I do. Like, it's, like, it is crazy how cold and harsh people are to each other on Twitter. There's no comfort. There's no compassion. And friends, our world needs compassion. They need it. They need somebody who will understand with them and empathize with what they're scared about and what they're worried about and their fears and and everything going on in this crazy climate that we're living in right now. And see, I was the same way. Um, I really didn't have, you know, when somebody would say, hey, yeah, I've got cancer, for instance. Sorry, I'll be praying for you. And I pray. But it didn't evoke like a cathartic response, right? I wasn't like, you know, teared up or worried for them. Until I lost my mom in 2012 of cancer at 62 years old. Watched her shrivel up and die. Stared her death. My dad, two years later, died of cancer. Watched him die. And then it was at that moment when somebody said the C word, I had this heart of compassion for him. Because I'd been through it. God had to comfort me through that. I was singing hymns of my mom in hospice. 
her little feeble hands trying to raise it. Couldn't even raise her hand from the bed. She was so sick and feeble. And so I remember going through that and saying, when somebody says that to me, when somebody experiences loss, I'm like, I'm here for you. I had a pastor, who, a friend who, who, got, who got cancer, had lymphoma. And he'd never experienced it. So, you know, like he wasn't like all emotional about it. But man, I was more emotional than he was. I'm like texting him and calling him every day. And he's like, man, no, it's good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I'm like, he's like, and I just was all over him. Like, why well, don't rise? Because I was like, man, my heart goes out to you. What does your family need? I mean, I was just right there with him. Had a friend recently lost a two-year-old suddenly. There's no explanation of why the child died. Just died one night. I mean, sirens were in our neighborhood. And they had a kid in the yard trying to do CPR. Holding a lifeless body. Man, my heart broke. I mean, bro and it still breaks. And I am reaching out. He's not a believer, doesn't follow Jesus, and I'm reaching out to him all the time. And I tell people this. I tell him, I said, look, I have never lost a child. I don't know what you're experiencing. And I would not begin to imagine. I'm not going to give you Bible verses or tell you what to do. I'm just here for you. Because we got to comfort. See, let me tell you something. People that don't know Jesus don't need Bible verses and theology. They just need somebody to be there with them. And say this, say to them, listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how you're going to make it. I didn't know how I was going to make it either. I just know one thing, God will be with you. He's for you. And you just call upon him. Whether you believe or not, he's going to meet you there in that. And it, we've got to have a heart of compassion for others when we go through those troubling times. Just like Paul went, Paul had more compassion on people at that point. Comfort more times than those couple verses than the whole New Testament. And here's the final thing we've got to do, and this is the spiritual part if you're looking for something really spiritual. Let your burden drive you to worship and prayer. You need friends. You should have compassion. But man, let it drive you to worship and prayer where you spend time with the Lord when you're going through something. You take time reading the Scriptures and discerning what God's speaking to your heart. Matter of fact, Jesus was our example for this. You know, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't a superhero. Like, he got tired. He got thirsty. He got hungry. I believe he got hangry. I believe when he drove out the temple with the whips, he came there and drive. He was probably hangry. He hadn't had lunch yet, right? I'm joking. He doesn't say that. I'm just, you can laugh. But Jesus experienced those things. And what he experienced the night before he was crucified was excruciating. One of the gospel writers says that he was sweating blood. And doctors will tell you that's actually a condition called hematohydrosis. It's actually a condition of extreme anxiety and stress. He knew not only would he face Roman crucifixion, but he would take on the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future, and he would absorb the full wrath of God for us. And he was stressed out. You know how we know he was stressed? He didn't want to go through with it. The 100% man part of him... <laughs> Look, look what Mark records. And Mark had interviewed Peter and met with Peter, and, and Peter had given him kind of, you know, the disciples were kind of like listening from an earshot while they weren't sleeping at Jesus praying that night. And this is what Peter tells Mark what went on. He says, he went on a little far, farther, Mark 14, 34, and fell to the ground, exhausted, stressed out. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. 
Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Jesus even got a little bit of Joe Olstein in him. Everything's possible. Right? I'm never going to make it to the NBA. Everything's not possible. I'll tell you that. I'll never be any taller. Not everything's not possible. But, he, but he's speaking in terms of, God, I don't want this to happen. He says this, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He was suffering. He was going, he was overloaded, and he was overwhelmed. And then he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And Jesus spent the whole night praying and worshiping until his betrayers came. He let his burden drive him to worship in prayer. And can I tell you, I'm going to be a little honest with you as, we, as we close out today, like the most traumatic time in ministry was ever when everything shut down. We didn't know if we'd have a church after eight weeks. We didn't know how long it was shut down. It was, it was tough, y'all. To be honest, the last month or so hasn't been easy either. You know why? We, get, I mean, we just don't know what the future is going to hold now, right? We have this, we're a little bit of fears to popping back up. And you're wondering, oh, we just got going again. And I'll wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes multiple times at night, due to anxiety that I do struggle with. I'm not as spiritual as some of you watch this. Maybe you never have that. And you go, and I'll get messages. Some people, you know, you shouldn't worry. Just trust God. I know it's, it's easier said than done, but I, I'll wake up. And that's what God, and, and I just feel the Lord saying, hey, have I, have I let you down yet? Have I let you down yet? And I'll share my burdens with God and what I'm going through. And then God does, I feel just impressed in my heart. Will you just trust me? Friends, I want you, as you lead this church this week, to be driven to worship in prayer every time these things pop up in your life, to put on some worship music, to open the scriptures up and go to the Lord. Many times you feel like you're surrounded by so many things, right? Can't, doesn't sometimes life feel like it's closing in on you? Like you've got all that, like, like we're scared about what this virus is going to do, and you're worried about the job market, and you're worried about politics is polarizing, right? Both of them, I mean, listen, I listen to conservative and liberal stations and kind of see what they're doing. They're, they're both of them are scaring us to death <laughs> and full of hatred against people. It's just crazy. And you just feel overwhelmed and surrounded. But what we're going to do in a second, our worship team's going to come up. We'll do something a little different today. I want you to make this your confession that when you feel surrounded by, by all the things that are pressing in, you feel that anxiety coming in. You're not surrounded by negative stuff. You're surrounded by the Lord. He's surrounding you. He's for you. He's with you. He's not let you down yet. And it's in those times, that's how you're going to fight your battles, is knowing who's really surrounding you. Because either you'll focus on the negative things surrounding you, or you'll focus on the presence of the Lord that is surrounding you. And if you will this morning, just stand to your feet. Let's just uh, take some time, and we're going to worship the Lord and I want you to make this your confession. So when you're leaving this week and you're out on Wednesday and things go really wrong for your day, you can make this confession. I feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It's all about your perspective. Amen? Let's worship the Lord this morning together.